Right, Amen. Right, thanks. So it is uh, really, uh, it's, it's a blessing uh, by a power of 10 to be in a group like this where uh, I'm not sure what the average age is here, but uh, um, I'll bet a number of you don't even remember a world without you know, the internet or a digital world. You know, I'm part of the, I think, uh, so Ernest and Yvonne and I, maybe some of you are part of the hinge generation that remembers the early days and now, now we've got uh, what we have today. But it's brought like broad-based change. So um, that's part of what underlies the, uh, the, the structure and the motivation behind ADC. But let me get started first by reading this uh, a passage of Scripture. There are two times in the, the New Testament when the Apostle Paul wrote to, it's both in, in Corinthians, to the Corinthians, when he, he said, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And, but, but it's different in a different context. In uh, the sixth chapter, uh, he said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. That's verse 19. And there he is, he is talking, he referring to how that we personally, each one of us, is a temple. The other time that he uses this, uh, uh, this phrase is in chapter 3, where he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and, then, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? In that case, he is talking about, Do you, the church, not know that you are the temple of God. And I, I bring this up to illustrate <clears throat> that uh, uh, just the way we individually need accountability. Likewise, a church has a life of its own, and a church needs accountability just like an individual does. And so that's kind of a part of what underlies you know, the whole idea of having a group of churches in fellowship with each other that provide accountability and fellowship one with another. Just the way that we do and you do within your congregation, it's just then, then done among churches. So um, ADC, Anabaptist Disciples of Christ, is uh, an affiliation of conservative Anabaptist churches. Uh, we're headquartered in Walnut Creek, Ohio, mainly just because some of us who first got started uh, with this uh, fellowship live in Walnut Creek. And so that's where it happens to be based. Nothing strategic about it. Um, this is the way we, we uh, uh, state it. As duly ordained Anabaptist ministers of the gospel... We hereby establish this affiliation of conservative Anabaptist churches seeking like-minded fellowship, instruction, and accountability in church administration and congregational life in the biblical pattern of the apostolic church to passionately follow Jesus in every generation. So there is a sense in which what the Anabaptist Disciples of Christ is about is to in as much close as we are able to, to look at Acts and look at how the church functioned in the, the, in, during the biblical period. So we, when, when I use, in, in 
when I use the term uh, this evening, the, uh, the apostolic church, I'm referring to the period of time recorded in the Bible. When we, I use the term early church, I'm referring to the time after John passed away and like around 100 A.D. So, uh, you know, John said in, in I think it's First John, where it's, he, he wrote that, uh, you know, that which we have heard and we've touched, he's talking about Jesus. We've touched him, we heard him, the word of life. And so when John's voice, when John died as an old man, around A.D. 100 in Ephesus, the voice of the witnesses fell silent. Nobody was among the, the church anymore or in the church anymore. Excuse me, let me turn that off. Nobody was in the church anymore that could say, yeah, I heard Jesus say, I saw him do this. That it, it now all depended on, on the, uh, you know, what was written. And so we go to what's written, and in as much as close as we are able to, we, we replicate what's written. So it's, uh, this, so what, what I'll, I'll uh, uh, cover this evening is essentially our effort to be an apostolic church in as much as we are able to 2,000 years later, more than 2,000 years later, in uh, the United States of America, in a completely different culture, but following the same Lord. And organizing ourselves in churches the way they organize themselves into churches and functioning you know, f within our churches, or, or say church to church, the way they did. And so it's not like you can turn to a certain reference and say, well, here's the instructions. It's mainly the pattern that we see in the life of the apostolic church. So <clears throat> that's kind of what underlies the whole idea of having Anabaptist disciples of, of Christ. So um, we'll cover here three things, or four things rather, the purpose, the function, our faith proposition, and our participation agreement. So uh, uh, by the way, Feel free to interrupt me if you want, though probably most of you won't because maybe you'll think, well, he's going to cover that later. But then, but, but if you have questions, make note of them. And I'd like for this to be kind of a, kind of a, an informal conversation with you where we're joined in this desire to lead biblical lives as a church. So, uh, uh, feel free to ask any questions or interrupt me if there's something you would like to uh, ask. Okay, so the purpose. The purpose of this affiliation is to provide first congregational accountability with like-minded churches. And then also congregational autonomy in church administration. Now, let's talk a little bit about these words. So what does autonomy mean? That means that you decide things for yourself. So, and, and I'm going to just like pause right here and say this is a point at which, uh, this is to me a key point. And the idea is this, that there are many church affiliations, whether they're conferences, 
fellowships, alliances, whatever you call them, groups of churches that are bound together by a common um, constitution. And so you, you have to like, follow this constitution where our approach is autonomy. Every congregation, and this seems to be the pattern in the New Testament churches. While there was, for example, in, in, uh, in Acts 15, when, uh, uh, when Paul and Barnabas returned from the first mis missionary journey, there was this burning question, the Gentiles that now have been baptized into the church and they've received the Holy Spirit, do they have to keep the law just like the Messianic believers keep the law? And so this this burning and and think about about uh, how this at this crucial point there could have been a document written. There was one written, but it was fairly general. But there could have been a a prescription given that this is the way every church everywhere needs to be. It doesn't matter where you're in Jerusalem or or uh, in. Uh, Antioch or in Athens, Greece or you know wherever so but the the pattern is that every church was its own decision-making body so this is kind of like a fundamental uh, starting point for if you become a member of ADC or a participating church is really the proper terminology. If you become a participating church in ADC, sometimes people come and say, well, are we allowed to do this? Or are we allowed to do whatever? The response is, that's not a question for us. It's a question for you as a congregation to determine how you live. So, does this make sense, what I'm saying? Is, is that, that, that the affiliation is not like this decision-making body that from on high gives decrees and then uh, you uh, just follow these decrees. No, everything gets pushed back and we say, you're an autonomous congregation. In the pattern of the Acts churches, you decide for yourself. Take, for example, some of the things in relate. Living in the culture of Corinth was different from living in the culture in Jerusalem. And so there would be some differences. You can tell that by 1 Corinthians. You can tell that by all the questions Paul is answering. We don't, see, we don't have the letters that, that ask the questions. We just have the answers Paul gives. And so uh, it's kind of like listening to the one 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 half of a phone conversation. But, uh, but you can tell that, that they're struggling with or, or trying to discern how should we live as God's people in this culture in Corinth. So that's essentially what you will need to decide how should we live as God's people in Lancaster, in the city of Lancaster. Because how you live here may vary some from how a rural church in Ohio lives. So every congregation decides for themselves in that. In, now there are some overarching than uh, like a statement of beliefs that I'll talk about later. So there's some commonality there. 
but the minutia is determined at the congregational level. Okay, so congregational accountability with like-minded churches, congregational autonomy in church administration, intercongregational assistance with church work. And what we mean by this is there are those times when, when as a congregation you need someone to just work with and help through whatever situation there may be or even just, just questions about, well, uh, well, how do you find it? How, do, you know, how, how, how did you de de determine, uh, uh, make, come to a decision about this, this aspect? Then uh, we, uh, that's what fellowship is about. We also are, um, in fact, the, the ADC Mission Board was just formed and is meeting this coming Saturday for their first meeting. So uh, we are like uniting our efforts in, in, uh, uh, in, in missions. Though I would add right with that that ADC does not as an affiliation see itself as a, like a church planting uh, organization. Churches plant churches. And so congregations should be planting churches, not at the organization planting churches. The organization comes alongside, provides shared resources, and so on, but it's really a church plant is, is uh, uh, one church planting another. It's also, there's pastoral fellowship. We have an annual assembly that, uh, where we get together as, as pastors. And then a pastoral training in theology and expository preaching and teaching. Uh, what's behind this is, uh, is that we have chosen, we as a people have chosen bivocational, the bivocational pastoral model, which means the pastors are working and earning their bread while they're also breaking bread spiritually to, for the congregation. And so that model brings with it some strengths and it also has some weaknesses we also follow the biblical pattern of uh, like in acts when uh, there was a need for workers in the church and uh, the apostles said look out among you you know men full of the holy spirit and appoint them to this work so um, we follow that pattern that means we don't look to uh, like to we, we're not as we, we don't generally look at the letters of a degree behind a pastor's name we look at how is he living in here in the congregation and it's on that basis that that, that that we appoint them this is a strength but there's a corresponding weakness in that uh, many of us have uh, gone through eight years of elementary education we've then become uh, you know, joined the workforce, and now the duty is you know kind of like thrust upon brethren to feed the souls of those in the church of the flock, and uh, so we are, in order to sustain this model of looking out among among you, and reaping the benefits of calling brother brothers that we know well and by their lives we and their testimony we know that they are men of God we come alongside that with pastoral training in theology and expository preaching and teaching and we are we're 
we're working on providing, uh, we're, uh, we're collaborating with uh, different adult learning um, initiatives, some that you know, are accredited, others where you can just like for the sake of learning um, attend the theology classes and, uh, uh, and things like this. So working to provide resources to help pastors uh, become uh, uh, more excellent in breaking bread to the congregation. All right, so the function of this affiliation is to administrate a network of autonomous congregations subscribing to a common statement of beliefs. ADC is not a governing body, but a planning organization. Actually, the, the leadership of the organization is, uh, is called the planning committee. That's essentially what, what we do is we just plan things, and we'll talk later about, about uh, being a participant. So uh, we plan. <clears throat> it's the planning and administration of annual assemblies for pastoral fellowship. We are currently, uh, the last few years we've met, well, we didn't meet um, because of COVID two years ago, and then this last January we met in, in Pittsburgh. And bring every, uh, you all pastors, we really strongly encourage for all pastors to come together uh, to attend. And part of the reason is that that's the place at which we learn to know each other, we fellowship with each other, and if we're going to hold each other accountable, we need to associate with one another. And so it's kind of like, uh, if you are going to be a participating church, we really want you or your, le or your leadership team, what, what, however you structure things, whether the leadership team is ordained or you have, uh, you know, like just appointed leaders or an elder board, however you structure things, we do want the leadership to, uh, to attend the, uh, the annual meeting. Okay, we also, uh, uh, we do this for networking to just kind of counsel and give resources, fellowship with each other about uh, uh, local church administration and collaboration with evangelization and missions, and we've already talked about pastoral training resources and events. So, our faith proposition. So here's the idea that a fa if our faith proposition only works in a certain kind of church, in a certain kind of setting, but it doesn't work, uh, and I'll, I'll put it this way, if, if the faith proposition that we have only works in a rural church in Ohio, and it does not work in a, an inner city church in Lancaster. That's a faulty faith proposition. So we, what we propose here is that, that um, this proposition is not uniquely Mennonite. It's a biblical faith proposition. And while we are the Anabaptist disciples of Christ, it does not, it, you, that's not a term that has to define your congregation. So, a biblical theology as defined by our statement of beliefs. A principle-based discipleship model of congregational life. So, here I'll, uh, um, I'll put it this way. We have, we 
meaning the Mennonite churches that many of us, most, I think most of you would have come from, have for generations defined the way we live by the regulations that we have established. And so we, we um, define who's living a biblical lifestyle by their compliance with regulations. So the there wasn't time when that actually, it seems like that worked, but that time has passed. The digital generation and all the change that's been brought in our culture has rendered that regulation-based approach obsolete. And so we're turning to a, a different model. And, and I'll, I'll put it this, there, there, are, there are many, uh, so, so by the way, feel free to push back if you like, want to do that then. So there, I would propose to you that there are many church leaders who are like, they're looking over here and they're seeing that, that the, the rising generation of the people that populate our pews are, are not finding the regulation-based definition of how to live compelling. And so church leaders are looking over here and then they see they're not sure what. Kind of a slippery slide into, into liberalism, however you define that. So it's kind of like, okay, well, well, which way should we turn? Well, and so we define ourselves more by what we are not than by what we are. We are not like this. But we're also not like this. Well, how are, what are we? Well, we're not this or this. So our effort as an affiliation is to define a principle-based discipleship model of congregational life. As we turn away from a regulation-based model, we understand that, that, that we all need accountability. How do we bring accountability without the regulations? It's by the discipleship, the way in which we interact with each other, by an intense, close discipleship where we interact with one another intrusively. Enough so that, that uh, we hold one another, excuse me, we hold one another accountable for the way in which we live by the closeness of our fellowship. And so um, this is the model this, that we call the discipleship-based model. So, and I want to just like at this point give, give a warning that if you find this idea like, kind of like too intrusive, I really want a place where I can meet on, go on Sunday to worship I don't want anyone involved in, in the life choices I make. And I just kind of uh, want that freedom. Then this is actually not an, the affiliation for you. But if you're looking for a compelling faith proposition that calls to biblical living and hold, provides accountability by 
interacting with one another and discipling one another, then this is what unites us. This is what, we, what you'll find uh, as kind of the, the, the motivation underlying ADC congregations, is congregations that share this vision for a discipleship-based model. Some of us do it by creating small groups or cell groups. Others do it by keeping the congregation small. I personally think that there will be a burgeoning house church movement that's coming. The, 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 the transition, we're, we're changing from macro, mega, to micro. And there is a, 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 a need to change, to, to turn from the, the impersonal, large association to the small, intense association where we effectively disciple one another. So how you do that, you have to figure that out on, on your own. Or if you, like if, if you're, I'm, I'm assuming this isn't quite all of you here. But, uh, but you know, there, there is a small enough group that, uh, that I'm assuming nobody just kind of like disappears and doesn't show up until, uh, uh, until you know, two weeks later. Someone will say, hey, where are you? What are you doing? And, and that's, that's what I mean by discipleship, providing discipleship. So a principle-based discipleship model of congregational life. Before I move on here, why? Why this emphasis? So there's a... The, the times have changed. You know, there was a time when... Let me just... Let me put it... Restate this. Let me say... Put it this way. That in our culture... the extremes in our culture the the and, and I'll take for example the uh, uh, the the, uh, the the gay lobby there was a time when they were that lobby was kind of like like in LA or on the west coast and on the east coast but not in the heartland and they and there was like they made a lot of noise for their numbers but uh, but we could kind of like disregard them now the, the rights of these groups have been codified into law. And so we are learning, needing to learn to live in a culture with a commitment to principle-based living in a way that my generation was never called to. And if we are going to be people of God bringing salt in our culture, we will need to understand the principles that we stand for and live by those principles. And brothers and sisters, it is not going to cut it to just have some regulations and say, well, if we do this, then we'll... Now, maybe we'll survive in our culture, but that survival isn't the point. The point is taking our faith, taking the message of the gospel to a culture that is getting more and more desperate in looking for meaning and what is the purpose of life. 
So it's our time to rise up and take the gospel to our culture. But we need the safety of one another and to do it in community. And that community is provided by discipleship. And so this is the, the, the passion that underlies uh, this affiliation. We already talked about congregational autonomy and church administration. A conservative Anabaptist worldview expressed by a lifestyle based on the Sermon on the Mount for all who enter the kingdom of Christ. Living counterculturally to engage the secular culture in the kingdom of this world. That's essentially what I was just trying to explain. Okay, number five. Equal emphasis on the two great calls to the church. To make disciples by evangelizing unbelievers and make disciples by nurturing believers. In the course of our church history, the history of our Amish Mennonite churches, we have, we have done better at nurturing believers than we have at evangelizing unbelievers. And so, and I'll, I'll put it this way, that, that, that these two great calls of the church should be on parallel tracks, advancing. And when they're like, one's ahead of the other, then uh, the church is weak. The message is weak. When it's, this is the ahead, then the message is weak. But when, the, when there are people of God who are living a principle-based lifestyle in our culture and are turning away from their protective isolationism to engaging our culture. The two are on a parallel tracks and there is power and a compelling message that will make a difference in our culture. So uh, equal emphasis on the two great calls. Uh, from an administrative standpoint, uh, we uh, recognize two offices for local church governance uh, like the bishops, elders, deacons, uh, bishops, elders, pastors uh, is are words that are used interchangeably. So uh, there's actually like a pastor is the a pastor is the bishop is the elder. OK. And uh, and then there are also deacons uh, that uh, that are charged with uh, benevolence ministries and things like this. But there's a real focus on utilizing the spiritual gifts of every brother and sister in the congregation. We use the term every member in ministry where um, Ephesians 4:11, God gave to the church um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. And sometimes we think that, okay, he's got all these, these classes were given to the church for works of ministry. It's actually the role of the church leaders is to equip the saints so that the saints do the works of ministry. So there's an, an, an uh, uh, one of the things we try, we, we, we sometimes talk about it this way, we try to flatten the church. Too often we've like created these hierarchical structures where only a few exercise spiritual gifts and all the rest uh, kind of like uh, uh, 
are less engaged. Flatten that hierarchy. Spread the responsibilities out. Utilize the gifts of everyone. Uh, and not this is too extreme, but I'm, use, I'm overstating it to make the point that there's a sense in which you should not be bringing unconverted people to the church. You should be evangelizing them and then bringing them to the church to be equipped. Okay, so uh, not, don't take that to mean, no, don't invite someone to church that's not a Christian. Of course, you know, do that. But you get the point. Okay, uh, and then an, an apologetic defense of biblical faith. Um, so if you would decide, okay, so yeah, we'd like to be a part of, of ADC. How would you do that? Okay, we talk about a participation commitment. We don't, uh, because we believe in congregational autonomy, we don't want churches to say we are members of ADC because you are actually just participating in this fellowship. There's not a membership uh, you know, constitution. You're just participating in the fellowship. There's voluntary participation by congregation ratified by church vote. So um, the, it's how, so people sometimes ask us, okay, so, so how do you want this vote? Like, do, do we need 100%, you know, to, you know, unanimous vote? Hey, however you, I mean, this is, the idea is that you're an autonomous congregation, so however you do your voting, that's how you vote. And if you sense that as a congregation, you would say, yeah, we'd like to participate in this affiliation, then then uh, um, you do that at the congregational level, and, and we have a form then to fill out, but it's mainly just to gather information so we know uh, who, who, who to interact with and so on. Agreement with ADC's purpose, function, and faith proposition, which I've tried to articulate here, but, it's, but we really, it's, so, so the things I did, tried to describe here and emphasize in in engaging our culture. If this is what resonates with you, then you would feel comfortable, not just comfortable, you, would, you, would, you could participate in our fellowship. If you're look, hearing this and saying, no, that's not, that, that, that's not what we're about as a church, then, then, it, then it really isn't. Then you're better served by some, some other affiliation and agree so our statement of beliefs is uh, uh, for those of you that are familiar with the Mennonite confession of faith of 1963 we worked with that confession of faith but we revised it to to uh, uh, add some some like for example we added a section on uh, on uh, uh, digital um, forget now exactly what it's called digital uh, whatever concern the idea, but the idea is that that uh, in our at this stage in, in our culture the idea that we should say well let's like, like forbid devices so that uh, we're shielded from the influence of you know the entertainment uh, and and the the secular the secularization that that's happening to us, 
uh, if that just like forbid devices and, and regulate that, that, that that's, we've moved way beyond that. The issue is really content. And so we wrote a section to address the content, how we, based on principle, have to regulate ourselves because of the content that is now coming to us through electronic media in ways that weren't happening in 1963 when this was written. <laughs> Nobody envisioned that. I think in 1963, people basically went to church to learn about uh, their faith. And now, uh, when your pastor is up here preaching, they can actually, you know, the people in, in the chairs can be sitting there and can be Googling to see what, if you, what you said is actually so. You know. And so, you know, things, I'm just, the point is things have changed. So it's all about the content. Another, another place that we revise the statement of beliefs is in the statement on what is marriage. So if you think about what is marriage in 19, what it took to define marriage in 1963 compared to what it takes to define marriage today is two completely different things. And so we call it our statement of beliefs to because uh, to illustrate uh, or because it will probably as our culture changes there will be ongoing definitions that will be needed but the definitions will come in the in the in the principles by which we live as new changes come about in our culture if that makes sense okay um Participation in ADC's annual assemblies, already talked about that. And then we also provide mutual aid and support for ADC-affiliated uh, congregations. That mutual aid, is that something, do you actually have like your own team for this? Like when you have a need that comes up and then you share it with the and then church would help? Uh, it's not our own mutual aid plan uh, like like for for health care coverage or for uh, for property and so on we expect that that whatever method you're using uh, for health care coverage or for uh, for um, uh, you know, other kinds of insurances you you, you 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 continue that what we're talking about is that when catastrophic events happen you know, sometimes something happens and, and, it's, and there's a financial need and it's not something that falls under the general definitions of, of your health care coverage and so on, then, then uh, we share those expenses. We just make the need known and other congregations will come to, well, we'll then we help one another. And it, it's a very informal thing. It's not like there's this formal assessment. It's just a sharing of the need and uh, then we help one another if there's a need. Uh, we have all the, the, the there's also not an, like a, a membership fee, if you will. It's, everything is just voluntary. Churches take offerings and send us some funds and it's not like we have this huge operating budget, but we do have some expenses and churches just uh, send money for that. 
Okay, that actually, uh, okay, here we go. So people sometimes ask, what if uh, you're a part participating congregation and it, you as a congregation no longer quite fit? What then? Does, do the regulators show up? And, and, the, and the answer is, you came in voluntarily based on fellowship. And if there's a point at which you say, this kind of, this, the fellowship we're experiencing here is not, it doesn't resonate with us because we're not, that's not the way we're living out our faith, then we, you just voluntarily leave. This is a fellowship. There's a picture there of the form, um, and it basically just verifies you know, the church name, uh, the, the representatives, and that you did take a vote. So, okay, there we are, uh, 45 minutes later. Any questions? Actually, let, let me just, like, like, does it make sense what we're trying to do here is we're saying uh, there is a need for congregations to hold each other accountable as we take our faith to our culture. Because we are affected by our culture. We need to do it in community with each other. And that's essentially what this is all about. A, a, an affiliation of like-minded, and that term like-minded was chosen to reflect like convictions about taking our faith to our culture, turning away from a, an, uh, like a protectionist posture into taking our faith to our culture, but doing it together in community. All right, questions? Comments, pushback. Yeah. Okay, it, it, it varies greatly. I, I, I'll pull no punches here. We are, we as a group of churches are actually finding our way because we have been generationally conditioned to rely upon definitions about how we ought to live or not live. And so to transition from there to a, a, an, a, a discipleship model that is intrusive enough to be effective is a process. And uh, so the way, uh, the, uh, one of the things we're doing in, in, in our congregation, I'm not talking about our congregation of uh, uh, Cross Point and Grace Point churches, is we have determined to keep the church small. 
So, you know, the larger, you know, churches get large, and then they form small groups to kind of like replicate that small, intimate fellowship. Well, why, wouldn't it be a little more simple to just keep the church small to begin with and not like let it get big to where we now have to like push back against that to create what we're, the, the discipleship we want. So that's one of the things we, we do. Uh, we are, uh, so we're seeing that that's one of the ways discipleship looks is smaller churches and then, uh, or small groups. But if you, if a church decides to use small groups, uh, there are many churches, I'll just, this sounds like, uh, like I'm being judgmental. I'm not trying to be that way. I've just noticed that there are churches where small groups are cool, and so you have your small group, and it's mainly a social group that, that gets together for fellowship, and there's not act, and, and then there's not actually discipleship or discipling being done in the small group. But it's often because the, the church itself is not expecting that of the small groups. But if, uh, if the leaders in the small, the small group leaders are like pastors. This is what I mean by, by uh, the, the, the spiritual gifting, the, the hierarchy needs to flatten. The spiritual gifts, uh, spiritual leaders with spiritual gifts need to be uh, charged by the church to exercise their spiritual gifts to pastor those in their smaller groups where there's intense interaction. And uh, um, one of the things, I'm, uh, here I'm, I'm getting on dangerous ground here, but, but we encourage more frequent communion and make make uh, and not not because it's a it's like a uh, uh, a hammer to like get people into line, but it because there's real strength that comes from from sharing in communion, and uh, uh, and we it's it's the rallying point around which we bring our lives and our hearts uh, I'm not I'm, I'm not I didn't think this through so I'm not uh, not making much making very good sense with this but that but you get what I'm trying to say is that is that it's to, to, to be it is the component of more intense interaction with each other of of say and so the on the one hand there's so if you ask what does it look like well, you know, we're familiar with accountability groups, you know, where, and, uh, where men have accountability groups, you know, for, for moral uh, purity and so on. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's you, you think about how you live your life. Um, it's, yeah, the, 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 the lifestyle you live opened up to a small group, small enough where you can be intimate enough where you say, two weeks ago you said, this is a need in my life. Here we are two weeks later. Has anything changed? Because discipleship can, e or what we call discipleship can easily just become this confessional. Yeah, so to kind of massage, soothe the conscience. 
but the whole idea is to bring about change, to be more, to be more godly and disciplined in our lives so that when we engage our culture, there actually is a difference. Because if, we, if there's no difference between us and, our, and how we live in our culture and those who are not Christians, then there's no compelling reason to become a Christian. So there should be a countercultural uh, approach to living and we hold each other accountable for it. Uh, so practically, uh, every church has to figure it out for themselves. Some are doing better than others. Other questions? Okay, so let, let me end this then by saying, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, our heart is that a congregation like you could be effective in your community and bring about uh, change in people's lives to keep evangelization and nurture on parallel tracks. That's what this is about. Easier said than done, but the affiliation is to help each other along that path. Okay, I'll turn it back to you, Dale. <laughs>